This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. And my co host, as always, is the president and founder of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, how's it going? It's going well, man. We are still rocking and rolling. It's like, it's like, Spring is in the air and kids don't want to sit or focus wow, or anything like that. But it's, it's good, hot. man. See, it's, heat affects mood, man. That's you right. Don't understand. And, you know, summertime, that's always the time when, like, violent crimes yep. go on the rise, public demonstrations, just that season. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, we, we are so glad you, that you guys have joined us. We're uh, we want you to follow us on iTunes, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also rate and review the podcast there. That gets our podcast in front of more eyes and gets us placed in a particular way on iTunes. And we also want you to reach out and contact us. You can follow Jamar at Jamar Tisby on Twitter. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag because I'm really excited about this. But in a couple of weeks, we are going to be interviewing one Mr. Show Baraka. Um, Show. And so I am letting you guys know because you want to follow us. You want to make sure that you're plugged in. Uh, he's just one of, of some many great interviews that are coming uh, in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned by subscribing to us on iTunes or the Satchel app as well. Um, now, Jamar, we had recently talked about, uh, probably a few months ago, we talked about the Flint uh, water crisis. We talked about some of the things that have transpired. And... I will preface this podcast by saying that we will be uh, we'll talk we'll be talking about some political topics. We'll try to stay away from the partisanship as much as possible, but we will be talking about some political topics from a Christian perspective or worldview. Uh, so, the president, President Obama, visited uh, Flint um, just a couple of days ago, and he, he came and gave some speeches and basically said he wanted to to say that he had their back. And it really was striking to me that this is still a crisis. Uh, maybe people mm. don't understand that, but um, the water is is safe for people to drink, according to the experts um, who are not pregnant, who are not under six year old, who are six years old, who are not elderly. There's a whole bunch of qualifications, and then we're talking about bathing and shaving and showering, all these things that you do on a regular basis, cooking, etc. Um, a lot of that is having to still be done with bottled water for certain groups of people. Um, there have been 9,000, close to 9,000 children who have been contaminated by Flint's dirty water. Mm. And there, there are 5,000 homes that have to be repiped. Um, and there's a number of things that are going on in uh, Congress and, and, and on a national scale politically, and then also in the state of Michigan as well. But because this is a dignity issue, because this is an image of God issue, because this affects uh, people, and it, and it comes down to our basic you know, human understanding of what sustains us. Well, water does, right? What sustains wow. us? Water yeah. is something we have to intake every single day to survive. 
So the thought of people being without that and people who have died because of contaminated water just breaks my heart. So I just wanted to mention that just to keep that front of mind. Um, and Jamar, did you see President Obama's, some of his remarks from Flint, Michigan? I didn't see the remarks. I saw him drinking the water, though. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. He said it wasn't a stunt. He said, uh, he, said he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to stunt, but that he, he was coughing and that he needed, he needed some water. And so he drank it. Um, personally, and I'm not, you know, again, once to get too involved in the political back and forth and posturing, because I think both parties should come together without pointing too many fingers and hold those people accountable who are responsible, but also make sure that Flint has everything that it needs. But I'm surprised that President Obama just came around to visiting Flint. Uh, I'm very surprised and a little bit um, saddened that he is just coming now. Um, I mm-hmm. wish kind of he would have he would have come much earlier. It would have mm-hmm. drawn more attention to it, and um, and I don't know what his schedule is or, or or things like that. But I wish that there may maybe would have been a quicker on the ground response from our president. Do you feel the same way? I mean, given yes, I I don't know how presidents kind of prioritize these kinds of national emergencies, but right. to me, it seemed big enough, if you will, uh, not that any tragedy is small, but uh, it seems to, I, th- I certainly think a presidential visit was appropriate. Um, the timing of it, I don't know. Maybe there were things that we weren't aware of. Maybe he was aware of sure. kind of political messages, or maybe he just wanted it to play out without, because if the president comes in, it changes the tone. It changes, oh, that escalates everything, right? Yeah, exactly. It changes the whole scene. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like if you're in the workplace, and if there's an issue between two coworkers or a particular unit, that's handled in a particular way. But when the CEO or the president comes into the room, that just mm. not only does it escalate it, it should be escalated. This is a major, 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 major crisis. I'm just yes. hypothesizing here. I could be completely wrong. But I'm just thinking what would keep a president from coming, you know, and visiting and expressing in person his support. Uh, you know, maybe he wanted to see it play out and all of the actors who were part of this crisis in Flint have to give accountability themselves before mm-hmm. it seems like, okay, the federal government is coming in or the, the president is coming in. And maybe that would have deflected attention from the people who needed to be responsible. I don't know. Right. No, that's actually a great point. Um, that is a really great point. We don't know the, the backstory of it. And so many presidents are unfairly judged and unfairly, uh, and, and, you know, rightfully there should be scrutiny for the highest office in the land. But a lot of presidents are, are, are going through things we have no idea um, they're getting advice from other people on the political angles and the social angles and um, the the law enforcement angles or, or legal angles. So, so definitely, I, I totally understand that. I just wish um, that his feet would have been on the ground maybe a little bit earlier. Um, I think just in general, some of the the things that we were struggling with in this crisis is the lack of attention. And the lack of consistency. And this is maybe a challenge to us as a people. I mean, there are certain issues that I think require us to put special attention on them because they deal with human life. They deal with the dignity of human life. They deal with um, the Imago Dei and the image of God and people. 
And I really believe that this is one of those. I mean, I think another one would be persecution in the church, right? I think mm-hmm. that would be something that we should constantly be coming around to and as much as possible wanting to highlight uh, opportunities to support our brothers and sisters remembering the persecuted church. But then I, I think another one is whenever the vulnerable in our society are um, attacked in any way, whether ec- explicitly attacked or implicitly attacked through uh, neglect, I think we as the as the church should be right there. I remember reading in uh, some of the 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 list of places that you can give. I saw a couple of churches, and I don't want to uh, you know presume that other churches aren't getting involved. But I saw a couple of churches that you could give to. But then I saw. Um, mosques. I saw Catholic charities. I saw a number of different places that you could give to on either a, a different religious faith or, or expression, or just secular agencies that had taken the ball and and just run with it. And that should be the church. I believe the church should should step in there. So, if you guys have any information on on where to give and how to give even more than what we've already listed on the podcast, please reach out to us. If you are in the Flint, Michigan area, we want to hear from you. What's going on? Um, are you still having to go through some of these things? Is uh, is is there struggles that you're having with your family, your kids? Is there any way that we as a as a listener uh, or as a, a podcast can support you as a listener, reach out to us um, by any of the means that we've given you already. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And I appreciate you keeping that on the radar and these kind of human rights crises that are occurring as well as um, in, not only domestically, but internationally. We're going to try to do more of that. There's always more than we can comment on in a single podcast. Um, but if there are issues or events out there that uh, you think would be pertinent and you want to bring up, do hit us up, Facebook, Twitter, let us know. And speaking of the president. Oh, uh, no, 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 don't go there, Jamar. Don't do we it. we got to talk about the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Okay, yes, yes. Let us talk about that. I thought you were going somewhere else. Okay, where was I going? Where did you want me to <laughs> no, go? No, 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 I'm not going to mention it. I, <laughs> not gonna... shall not be named. You shall not okay, be named. Okay, okay. <laughs> we might go there later. Maybe, if we have some time. Okay, White House Correspondents' Dinner. So, okay, so I didn't see all of the president's remarks. I saw a few, and I saw some of the more colorful remarks from uh, Larry Wilmore. Why you got to make it about color, man? Hey, man, he did. <laughs> so I'm going to make it about color. Uh, so what were your thoughts on the White House Correspondents Dinner? It is always a tricky event because it's it's supposed to be a sort of tongue-in-cheek, humorous kind of event. But then you've got all of these really important political and social and business figures there Um so so you're always kind of towing that line between um, sort of pushing the boundaries and completely crossing the line. And I, I, th- I think you, you know, you run bigger risks in with with certain people that you have there. So, of course, President Obama spoke and he made a bunch of jokes as well. But there was somebody who went up before President Obama, and that was Larry Wilmore, um, the host of what's his show called? Um, the T- the Tonightly Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On um, on Comedy Central. Yes, yes. And so he's a he's a comedian. He's got a you know a show every night. Does really interesting things. He's also African American, and so he talks a lot about race and politics. And he was his response. His his um, his 
I don't know, piece, his uh, jokes got very mixed responses. So in the room, he basically fell flat. I mean, there was audible groaning from the crowd over some of his jokes, particularly about the media, uh, how biased they are, how print media is basically dead. And so you've got a room full of journalists and you're making fun of media. It didn't go over too well. But that was really trash CNN. I mean, he ran (laughs) through CNN. It was was like, whoa, Blitzer, all of that. Yeah. So um, didn't didn't fly well in the room. However, that wasn't even the most controversial part. Um, He made a he made, you know, a, a couple of jokes that were, you know, certainly skirting the line of decency. But I think what everyone was talking about at the end was was how he ended. And he he said this, when I was a kid, I lived in a country where people couldn't accept a black quarterback. Now think about that. A black man was thought by his mere color, not good enough to lead a football team. And now to live in your time, Mr. President, when a black man can lead the entire free world, words alone do me no justice. So, Mr. President, if I'm going to keep it 100, yo, Barry, you did it, my end. You did it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. His show's called The Nightly Show. But yeah, so he says, not only does he say the N-word, well, N-I-G-G-A, not N-I-G-G-E-R. There's a difference for some people. Um, But he said the N-word, and he says it in reference to the president. And that just, of course, was madly controversial. What are your thoughts, Tyler, on the appropriateness of calling the president the N-word in a public setting like the White House Correspondents' Center. Mm. <laughs> wow. Um, so you had to kick the hard topic to me first. Huh? So hey, I just, gotta give my, I just, I just put thoughts. it toward the smart guy. <laughs> nah, I think it's very tricky, um, and comedy naturally skirts those lines. And I think whenever you're inviting a comedian or someone known for any sort of humor, um, you're gonna get some either some vulgar jokes. You're gonna get some some jokes that that toe the line of what is decent and what is acceptable. Now, part of that is a structure of comedy, and I'm not super familiar with comedy, but part of that is people like to push that envelope naturally. They just like to push that envelope because that's what makes things funny, right? Um, now, from from my perspective. Um, I didn't have I want to I want to see how I can word this. <laughs> Good luck. I didn't have a problem with him saying it understanding that he's not uh from from all accounts a believer. Um so I'm not holding him necessarily to a Christian standard of speech and I don't think it's necessarily decidedly indecent considering the context of how the president was elected, the polarizing way in which he has, people have responded to his governing, and the implicit nature of racial injection that continues to happen in our society, and the amount of blame that the president gets for what some people would say the most tumultuous uh, times of of racial tension that our country has seen in quite some time. So for me, it didn't bother me because of those things. Now, if it were another president, I would have been bothered and 
not because you call him that, but you wouldn't have called him that. But it, I would have been bothered because the context wouldn't fit the joke. But I Because every other president's been white? Well, not just that. <laughs> I'm just saying if you use the word period. I'm not okay. saying if you call president that, called another president that obviously you wouldn't. But I'm saying if you use the word at all at, at another White House Correspondents' Dinner without President Obama there, I would have been like, uh, I don't know. Um, but I will say that I think President Obama understood that as a term of endearment, whether or not you disagree or whether or not anyone who's listening would disagree, President Obama clearly took it as a term of endearment. And yeah. I think it raises a lot of questions for us, which, I mean, the N-word, um, and <laughs> it's funny because we're probably going to do an episode on that soon too, but the mm-hmm. N-word discussion continues to be something that comes up every year, every few years, and especially in a racialized time with our first black president. So from my perspective, I didn't have that much of a problem with it, and maybe you see it differently. Well, just just for the record, uh, Wilmore is a professed Catholic, and so um, there is that element of faith. But I didn't I know absolutely, that. Yeah. I absolutely, that's that's a word from our producer who can Google these things or probably already knows them. <laughs> you, you hit on the, the fulcrum of the whole issue is what, how do you view the N-word? And there, and here's a, here's a great example of how black culture is not monolithic because you will have black people who have widely varying opinions on what the N-word means and its appropriateness. I'm even using N-word simply because, well, for a lot of reasons, but because there are so many varied definitions and you can easily offend with that word, um, and and I'm abbreviating it so as not to unnecessarily offend. But so so there are some people who say the N word is a term that historically had been used in a derogatory manner toward people of African descent in the United States, and that by using that word, by appropriating it among African Americans, then you're actually taking back power and control. You're redeeming the word, if you will. And it has then become a term of endearment and affection and insider terms, which so this argues this is why white people cannot say the word in it in and it mean the same thing. Black people, some black people feel like they can say it to each other, and it's it's almost a, a family t- type of a term. But then, of course, there are other uh, uh, black folks who think no, there's no redeeming that word, and to use it only perpetuates. The negative stereotypes. So, for instance, I read a uh, blog post, or, or yeah, a uh, a post in the in the Washington Post by Jonathan Capehart, and it's entitled "Why Larry Wilmore Is Not My N Blank Blank Blank." And his concluding paragraph says this: "Sure, there are and were blacks who loved what Wilmore said. They think that by keeping it 100, a latter day keeping it real." Wilmore expressed the undeniable pride African-Americans have for Obama, the first lady, and everything the first family means and represents to them. But the White House Correspondents Association dinner was neither Wilmore's barbershop nor his mama's house. Obama is president of the United States and should have been accorded the respect that comes with the office, especially by someone who considers himself family. So that's one black person's response. Yeah, you know... 
context matters. So yep. if this was like the State of the Union or any other <laughs> State event, of the Union. Can you, know, you imagine, man? Exactly, exactly. Because we understand the context of that is meant to be very serious. The gravity of it lends itself to just a sober kind of assessment of what's going well and what's not going well in the nation. But the White House Correspondents' Dinner is supposed to be a scene of levity. It's supposed to be a place where you sort of poke fun. And so I think in terms of the context, it wasn't like this massive shocker that it would have been pretty much in any other circumstance. Um, okay. okay. So you mentioned, you mentioned context and you mentioned that context matters. I also mentioned that context matters. Somebody's probably listening and saying context doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> other people have said, other people have said that there's no redeeming this word, that this word yep. is impossible to redeem. Some people have called it the most, I remember Skip Bayless hearing him call it the most vile word in the English language, right? Um, well, you, Pierce, you also remember NAACP held a funeral for the yes, N-word. Yes, they remember did. That? Yes, they did. We cannot forget that. Um, Piers Morgan came out with an article. I don't know who's checking for Piers Morgan opinion on uh, racial matters, <laughs> but I, just yeah. one dig. I'm sorry, just one <laughs> dig. But he came out and said that if if people are going to end um the N-word is black people basically have to do. African-American people have to end the N-word. Um, now, I think every Christian would say that context does matter for speech, right? Um, I think that there are some instances, even within scripture, where strong language is used to display. And, and, and I'm not going to get too deep into the hermeneutics because, you know, I'm not a hermeneutics professor. So I don't want professors calling in being like, don't don't talk about this. Don't talk about the Old Testament and everything. But what I will say is I do think that there are, are examples in Scripture where strong language is used for strong reasons, for, for describing certain things. Um, and I think the context with which it's done may be indecent in certain settings and okay and acceptable in other settings, right? So we're not saying that it's totally relative. But I think that there is shared understanding among Christians about words that can be edifying in certain in certain spheres and would be indecent or inappropriate in other spheres, right? Yeah, and 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 just as an example, Isaiah sixty four six, uh, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, and yes. and so filthy rags, right? yeah, filthy rags, and of course, what does that original, actually mean? <laughs> It is very graphic um, and certainly not, you know, polite public conversation. And yet to make a point, um, and this is what this is what writers do all the time. Uh, it's certainly what comedians do. So it certainly wasn't out of the pale for Larry Wilmore. The question, I think, is in reference to the president and at the White House Correspondents Dinner, right. does that context or setting make any difference. And I don't know, you know, I think, I think, I think people can disagree. Um, and I, I think we would be remiss not to at least mention this book. I have not read it, but the title itself is intriguing. It's by a guy named Brady Goodwin Jr., who's also a, a rapper. His, his uh, stage name is Fanatic. And the book is called Navigating the N-Word, How Keeping N-I-G-G-A-S Alive is Killing Black Folk. 
And so this short description just says the N-word is arguably the most divisive word in the history of the English language, but it's not just history. The word is very much alive today. Some say it no longer serves its original purpose. And over the last 50 years, African-Americans have commandeered the word and given it a new meaning. This book analyzes that claim by surveying the different perspectives taken by black cultural leaders in the past, as well as the process by which hip hop culture embrace the term, which I love he brought that in because it is widely used in modern hip-hop. Readers will find a fresh new perspective on an old debate, but debate that is still very much worth having. So if you're looking for more on that, Navigating the N-Word uh, by Brady Goodwin. So that's yeah, all I've what's got. What's funny is um, I've reached out to Brady to come on the show. So uh, Oh, really? Okay, good. We can ask him yeah, himself. Yeah. I want him, to, want him to hit us and... Uh, yeah, man, he's gonna come on and, and set us all straight. Okay, <laughs> yeah, set me I, straight. you know, he's probably set me straight too. But at least, look, I love the podcast because we can have these kind of quote unquote closed door conversations. Um, that you know, most people, if especially if you're not black, wouldn't hear. Uh, so. At the very least, what to judge the rightness or the wrongness for yourself. At the very least, you can hear how two brothers think. <laughs> two brothers whose mentions are about to be uh, resting in peace uh, <laughs> in the casket, six feet deep. Hey, there it is. What else we got to talk about, Tyler? Something uh, non-controversial and easy, I'm sure. Donald Trump. Oh yeah, that's so. Donald better. Trump is now the presumptive uh, nominee for the Republican Party, um, the GOP, the grand old party, and um, Ted Cruz. Senator Ted Cruz has dropped out. Governor John Kasich has dropped out as well. And uh, the RNC chairman has named Donald Trump the presumptive presidential nominee for president of the United States. And, Did you ever uh, think you'd say those words? Everything is terrible, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a bad look, man. It's a bad look. Um, definitely surprised. I think a lot of us are surprised. A lot of us are, um, I don't know, just we're just sitting here and bewildered that he has gained such attraction, such a following, and not that certain people would support him because certain people would support really anyone, but to get enough traction to take over the Republican Party pretty much and establish himself as a leader is stunning. And mm. it is definitely sad. But uh, what are your thoughts on it, Jamal? It, it is. I think, I think that, you know, three months ago, six months ago, people wouldn't have thought it would go this far, like you said. And one thing after another has happened, you know, from Rubio dropping out of the race to, to Trump continuing to win different primaries that it, it has been this inexorable, what feels like a downward spiral to this point where he is, like you said, the presumptive nominee. And so I think there's a lot of shock still going around. Like, is yes. this really happening? <laughs> and I think that's nationally. But what is most fascinating to me is how white Republicans, particularly evangelical Christians who are Republican, are responding to this event. So I have seen everything from we're going to support the candidate no matter what. I've seen way before he was um, in this position, uh, Christians who are saying, yeah, vote for Trump. I've seen evangelical Christians use the hashtag and explain their reasoning behind never Trump 
and under no circumstances would they vote for him. And now what's terribly interesting to me that you have folks who have been Republicans, straight ticket Republicans, since they could vote, now disavowing completely the Republican Party and saying, yep. if this is the party, then that and, and this is the, the, the man who we want to nominate, then I want no part of it. And that has been, to me, an extraordinarily interesting turn of events in response to it. Yeah, I, I think there's a very interesting there's a very interesting tension going on because part of me wants to diminish the value of voting for president. And what I mean by that is not that it isn't important, but that there's so many things that go into voting someone into president presidency um, of the United States that sometimes it feels as though that's not really a primary concern. Like who's the president, regardless of who the president is. Um, we still have a responsibility and call to preach the gospel. We still have a responsibility to be, to be committed to the example of Christ and to grow into spiritual maturity, disciple people, and speak the truth. But at the same time, it's like you having someone who is so inexperienced politically, who is so proven to be unwise verbally, and so... Um, polarizing globally, it just makes me feel like that puts our country at risk. Like that puts everything we we know and love about American society, the things that we love, good and bad, um, it just puts it at risk. And yeah. that is the scary part. It's that you, you can't stop him. And what does it say about our electorate? What does it say about this generation of voters? What does it say about our politicians? And what does it say about, you know, our country as a whole that we could be gullible enough to fall for this act and feel that this is something we have to support because the, the other option isn't good or the other option would be um, would be even worse in our mind. So they're going to be and I'm sure there already are hundreds, if not thousands of think pieces um, responding to this. And, and I haven't read a ton yet, but one I have read is on mere orthodoxy friends of the show. And, um, it is written by Matthew Lee Anderson and the, the post is, is fire, man. It, it, fire. It, it is a great glimpse into the mind of, again, a Christian who has identified as a Republican for many, many years. And then it's disavowed the, the entire party and will not vote for Trump under any circumstance. The, the post is called Evangelicalism After Trump, The Moral Bankruptcy of the GOP. And Anderson says this, he says, um, he, he's not going to vote for Trump. And he says, the central principle of my decision is that Donald Trump is palpably unfit for the office of the president and unworthy of the vote of anyone who dares think that the name of Christ still must have some salience for our public and political life. Um, does that, that those are strong words and what i'm yeah. wondering <laughs> there's a lot uh -oh. we could talk about here can a is this a bad question to ask can a christian vote for trump or maybe a better question to, to ask is um what does it say or does it say anything uh that a that a professing christian votes for trump Okay. <laughs> so I think the second question is better, right? Does yeah. it say anything? 
Um, can a Christian vote for Trump? I, many will. Millions will. <laughs> uh, millions already have. Um, and that's that kind of goes into the to our kind of how we break down what a Christian who a Christian is and what a Christian should and should not do. Yeah, uh, Christians should not own slaves, but many did. Um, Christians should not do certain things, but many do. Right, and that doesn't mean that they're no longer Christians. It just means maybe they're using poor discernment. Um, maybe they're not doing things uh, wisely. Maybe they don't yeah. understand. Or That's maybe they point. have prioritized certain things above the gospel. So I want to be careful. Like when we say, oh, no Christian will vote for Trump or no Christian will vote for any of the candidates. I think that's kind of dangerous language. We're not saved by our works. Like mm. we're saved, justified um, through Christ. And so the idea that something would cease because we, we committed an act or we said something, we would now cease to be Christian. Okay, well, no. Like I don't believe in that. But what I will say is that the fruit that we bear and the actions that we portray and the things that we do can show our maturity and it can show our wisdom and it can show our discernment and it can show many of the things that maybe the church in America is lacking in, right? I believe that there is a heavy uh, politicizing of Christianity in the church. So the church takes on this political partisanship and it kind of morphs into Christian doctrine. So if you're Christian, then you vote Republican. Or if you're Christian, in some places you vote Democrat or what have you. And so I think it can show something about where we're at, especially from the standpoint of the character cops, right? So a mm. lot of people were saying, look at, look at President Obama's, uh, the church he goes to, and look, mm. at, look at all this, and look at what he's going to do to our values, and look at what he's doing to the family, and, and and some uh, maybe some of those critiques are legitimate critiques, right? And now it's like we just support anything that a person says, even when they have a track record of being either inexperienced or or untrustworthy, or even from a values perspective, not necessarily promoting the unity that we're supposed to have in Christ. So when we see that, I think it is. It, it, I don't think it indicates that someone is not a Christian if they. Um, if they vote for Donald Trump, but at the same time, it does indicate something about our churches and maybe the state of where that individual is at. Definitely. So, I mean, it, it, it's it's a question of application. If you're if you're thinking about Christian principles and you're reading the scriptures and you're applying that, which you, as a Christian you have to apply your biblical principles to every sphere of life, whether that's parenting or or governing. Um, mm-hmm. then when you see that, then it's a question of application. And so I do think you're, you make a great point that um, to, to call someone or non-Christian because they vote for Trump or whatever candidate it could be because the tides of public opinion can change. And this election cycle is Trump. Next election cycle will be someone else. Maybe it's a Republican. Maybe it's a Democrat, Libertarian, Independent. But you do have to – I think Christians can call other Christians to say – how are you applying these scriptural principles and values in this certain instance? And it's a right. topic of debate, but I don't think we should, uh, you know, be be questioning people's salvation over right. their political decisions. Well, let me ask you this: How do we have relationship with people who are Christians and 
uh, claim to be Christians and support Donald Trump? Like, how do we <laughs> how do we navigate those relationships? You know, I'm thinking about it even as someone who leads a church and don't 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 think that it is it is just white people who support Donald Trump. Unfortunately, um, wow. there, are, <clears throat> there are a number of different ethnicities that would support him, even despite many of the comments that he makes. So what are some tips? What are some ways that we can navigate those types of relationships? Well, look, if we can be cordial and gracious and open and loving to non-Christians, how much more so should be should we be that way toward Christians, brothers and sisters in the faith, even yeah. those with whom we disagree profoundly, even those uh, where we would call them to explain or give an account of how they sort of reconcile their biblical beliefs and convictions with the decisions they're making in um, different spheres of life. So I just think this is is a a blood-bought unity issue, just as, you know, divisions along racial and ethnic lines are, and it's a little different, those aren't volitional choices, but in a similar way that those things shouldn't completely separate us, and we should at least be able to have these dialogues among brothers and sisters in Christ. I think we should be able to have those dialogues along political lines. But I say that, and I, I know it's mm-hmm. a lot easier said than done, because even in my own church, which is intentionally multi-ethnic, politics is probably even more volatile of a subject than race. So it's 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 a long slog in there. I don't think any easy answers. One of the things we're doing, and none of none of these guys in um, this this group I'm in is a Trump supporter, but we mm-hmm. have intentionally gotten Democrat Democrats, Republicans, Independents questioning mm-hmm. in into a small informal group that we just meet, you know, every month or two months to discuss politics from a with Christian brothers. And so we're on all different sides of the the political spectrum and we come together knowing that our foundation is unity in the spirit and then mm-hmm. we're able to debate vigorously and still, you know, break bread together, hug, right. um watch each other's kids, those kinds of things. So, you know, I don't think it's a issue vastly different from other issues that might divide us in the body. Yeah. And we have to keep in mind, I mean, for some of us, um, not in my case, but maybe for some who are listening, I mean, we were asking people to uh, bear with uh, us or them because, you know, they supported Barack Obama in the previous Mm -hmm. election. So, I mean, it's every year it's really going to be be someone, um, whether it's whether it's on a Republican side or a Democratic side or even a third party side. Who knows? Um, There's always going to be someone that people would say, you can't be a Christian and vote for that person. Well, um, I think really there's there's a there's a huge diversity in the body, and some pe- people differ on these political issues. You know, no matter how strongly we feel about it. Amen, brother. Well, thank you guys for joining us. This has been a great episode. Uh, we want you guys to keep up with us. You can follow us at Ran Network on Twitter, and you can also follow the show at underscore Pass the Mic. Um, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Reformed African Americans. And listen, we want to hear your thoughts on everything that we say. Um, if you disagree with it, if you like it, if you hate it, um, we want you to reach out to us. Uh, you can leave comments on the website. We'll respond to those. But you can also, if you want to get quicker responses, you can reach out to us via Twitter. Again, my Twitter handle is at Burns23 and Jamar's is at Jamar Tisby. 
And we also, of course, want you guys to subscribe, uh, rate, and review, and also share the podcast. We'll be reading some of you guys' reviews uh, on the next podcast. And remember, in a couple of weeks, we have Show Baraka coming up. So we want you guys to get in some questions. If you have anything for him, that's going to be a fun interview. So, Jamar, anything else? Yeah, I guess we're going to call it the show with show. See, that's my attempt at creativity. (laughs) Yeah, it's good stuff, man. Excellent. Great. Well, thank you guys, and we'll see you again soon on the next Pass Pass the the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.